0: we're going to be in Philippians. We're going to start with verse 12 and then continue on uh, to verse 13. So what Paul says, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now Paul is basically saying this again he's writing to the Philippian church and you, you know I know that we're breaking these things down into verse by verse or section by section but it's important that we keep the context going. What, what Paul has just described is he's described the self-emptying of God, that, that he has emptied himself to come to humanity to save us from our sins. And there's, there's coming a day where we are going to exalt Christ and every, every created being is going to exalt Christ. And on the end of that, and he says, therefore, my beloved. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, because of all that Christ has done, therefore, keep obeying him. Keep pressing in, keep, you know, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Paul uses this type of writing tactic um, three or four different times in his writings. Like in uh, Romans chapter 12, this is what he says. He says, therefore, I, uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and listen to this. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So what he's saying is he's saying, look at all that God has done in both of these sections. He's saying, look at all that God has done for you. And because of all that he's done, now this is your response, right? And so it's a super powerful way that that he begins to write. Um, We're going to focus a little bit of time tonight on the portion that talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, This is a portion of scripture that can be very easily misunderstood and misinterpreted. And so I just, if I'm able to, I want to try to shine a little bit of light on it. Um, It may be a little bit difficult, but um, the main thing that, that I want us to understand is that Paul, what he is not saying, he is not saying, dear brothers and sisters, work for your salvation. That is not what he is saying. He is writing to Christian believers. He's not writing to to non-believers. He's writing to the church, and none of us can work for our salvation, okay? Um, In Ephesians, this is what he says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. In other words, you couldn't work for this gift. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no person may boast, and so he's not counter, you know, uh, counteracting his, his own words when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that means something, but it does not mean work for your salvation. That is not what he is saying. Our salvation is the gift of God. You could never earn it. I could never deserve it. it that is not what this portion is about. I think, if, if I may be so bold, I think a better understanding of this portion where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and tri- trembling, I believe that what he really is, is meaning or a better interpretation of this is live out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, he's saying um, finish the race, but don't just walk across the finish line. Completely finish the race. Dive through the finish line. Run with gusto. Completely live out your salvation that you have already been given. He is not saying work for your salvation. This passage of scripture is more about sanctification, which we're gonna get into this sanctification, than it is salvation. He's saying you've been given salvation. Now live it out all the way fully through. We cannot earn our salvation by works. My daughter, um, who, is, who is older now, she's married and pregnant. Um, but when she was probably 15, um, all of her, the people in her friendship groups, they were doing this thing where they would like dye a part of their hair pink or purple or something like that, like a few, you know, a strand of their hair or something like that. And we had told her that she couldn't do that. She was, only, she was 14 or 15, something like that. And one day we picked her up from school and she had dyed her hair purple after we had explicitly told her not to dye her hair purple. My son, who is six or seven years younger than her, so at that time he was just a little guy, Being the brilliant theologian that he is, this is what he said. He looked at her and he said, Autumn, you can wash away your hair dye, but you can't wash away your sin. Okay. Now, (laughs) not wrong. Okay. (laughs) But what he was saying is this. What he was saying is this. He was saying like, Autumn, you can't take this back. You can't make up for it. You can't like do enough good things to get rid of this. You can't wash away your sin. You can do some good things, but you can't wash away your sin. But I would add a caveat to say, but Jesus can't. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's just so important for us to really get a grip on, Paul is writing to Christians. It is not about them earning their salvation. And so they got, they got to walk with fear and trembling. Am I really a Christian? Am I going to heaven? No. There is a security. There is a seal. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has given us a seal until that day of of total redemption that we have. And so it's important for us to understand that, that we can't wash away our sins. We can't do enough good things to wash away. It's only the blood of Christ. So this isn't so much about salvation. It's about living out our salvation and what that looks like. It's a word that we call sanctification. Okay. Now, um, When when we talk about sanctification, this is just a very simple uh, definition of what sanctification means. It means that I, as a Christian, am becoming less like the world and I am becoming more like Jesus Christ, okay? So the the way and the things that I used to participate in, those things are dying. I'm becoming less and less like that and I'm kind of like maturing to become more and more like Jesus uh, in my lifestyle. And the reality is, is that every single person who is a son or a daughter of God, we're in this process that we call progressive sanctification, okay? And I want to give you just very, very quickly, you've heard Pastor and I talk about this for, for years, but, but it's the idea of this. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, immediately your spirit man was saved. Right? If you died in that moment or if you die you know, 100 years from now, your spirit is secure in Jesus Christ. So immediately your spirit man is saved. But progressively your body, or excuse me, your soul is being saved. Now your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Okay? That's what I mean. In my mind, my will, and my emotions, I'm becoming less like the world. Okay. I'm not, I'm not participating in those things. I'm participating in new things. Okay. And so ultimately what it means is that my body will ultimately be saved. Again, it's the, it's the, my spirit will meet my body in the air and there will be glorification. That is ultimately what it will look like. So immediately my spirit saved, progressively my soul is saved and then ultimately my body is saved. Okay. Okay. You and I, every person that lives on this earth, we are stuck right here in the middle. We are in this gradual process where our soul is being saved. Our spirit is saved. We're going to heaven. That's not what this is about. We are gradually becoming more and more like Christ until we reach heaven where we will be, the Bible says that we will be like him. Not that we will become gods, but that we will see and know and and understand in the way that he does. So what Paul is saying is this, He's saying, as you're like becoming less like the world and more like Christ, live that out and do it really well. That's what he's saying. He's saying, do that process with fear and trembling. Do that process knowing that you're gonna to answer to God for how that you live. And so do that process and run with gusto, do it with all your might, so that when you reach the other side, you will be able to say, I couldn't have done it better. Yeah. Right. So that's really the language of what Paul is trying to get at. But what's interesting about sanctification is it's, it's a dual process. What I mean by that is that, um, that what, what, what Paul explains in the kenosis passage is basically this. This is what God has done for you, and now this is how you should live. Okay, again, uh, several times throughout Paul's writings, this is what God has done. This is how you should live. When it comes to the idea of sanctification, it's the same thing. Paul says, listen, the spirit of God is alive and working in you, so you should obey him by doing these things, right? So it's a dual, a dual nature. There's a dual working here. It's not that I can just become sanctified in my own efforts. That's not how it works. And it's not just that God is going to take over control of my body and sanctify me in the process. God is prodding me, he is empowering me, he is stirring me to leave the world to become more like Christ, but I still have to obey, I still have to join the partnership and the dualistic nature of us coming together and working out this salvation or living out this salvation. And sometimes there's a real tension for us, right? But if you look at scripture, this is really how God has always worked all the way back to, you know, the, the beginning days and, and so many things you remember when um, when, when Moses uh, goes before the Lord, the Lord like repeatedly, different times, the Lord will talk about the staff that Moses had, right? And, and repeatedly, the Lord will say, and don't forget your staff, take your staff with you. And when you do this, raise your staff. And when you go to part of the Red Sea, do this and take the staff and throw it down and hit the rock. He keeps talking about the staff again and again and again. And what the Lord is ultimately doing is he's saying, listen, Moses, I am gonna do the work, but you've got to join in partnership with me and do what I say. So when you lift your rod over the sea, it's not your power that's gonna part the Red Sea, it's my power, but I'm not gonna part the Red Sea without your partnership, right? And so there is a tension there because we're like, well, who's really doing the work? Yes, we both are, right? but we are only able to do it because of the sustaining grace and the power that God has given us. When you know, Joshua is you know, fighting and the sun stands still, the Lord says, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, if you will fight and you will fight with all your might, I will pause the sun, but you got to fight, right? So it's like this partnership that's going on. It's the same with preaching or teaching. I'm going to prepare and I'm going to pray. I'm going to do everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all this but I cannot, I cannot bring conviction to your soul. It's only a work of the Holy Spirit that can do it. The fascinating thing is that, that sometimes God uses the voice of a human person as an instrument to do that, but it's really his spirit. And so in the process of sanctification, it's the same way. We are able to obey, we are able to leave the world, we're able to embrace the things of Christ, not in our own strength, but because the Spirit of God is empowering us, and as he does it, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, because of all that God has done for you, continue to obey him, yeah. right? And this is part of uh, the sanctification process. So um, let, me, let me just read to you a couple of scriptures that just very, very quickly explain to us God's significant role in the work of sanctification, okay? First um, Thessalonians 5, um, Paul writes, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Right? So again, get this image of I'm leaving this and I'm embracing this. But Paul's not just saying, no, just kind of like, you know, if you get the chance, kind of dip over into this side. He's saying, no, through and through, like, like move your soul into this, like put your, put your life into this and let the spirit do the sanctifying work in you. In John chapter 15, Jesus, you know, just before he goes to the cross, he's, he's talking about the vine and, and, and the branches. This is what he says. Remember, he says, remain in me and I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and listen to what he says. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So again, there's that partnership of God saying, you can't bear fruit by yourself. You can't just will yourself to, to be holy. He said, but if you will stay connected with me, I will empower you to do it as you obey me, right? So it's the significant, the most significant work in sanctification is God's part. Our part is a lot less significant, although it's very important and we have some responsibility in the efforts of sanctification. So let me just walk you through a couple of scriptures and, and a couple of explanations, and then we'll wrap this up. James reminds us, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, faith is dead. Okay? Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, again, he's saying, see all that God's done for you. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Um, In Colossians, we really get into a, a pretty deep portion of scripture. I'm not sure if it's in your notes, but I really want to read this, okay? Because I think there's, there's a lot of power. It shows the dualness of, of what we do as we try to live for the Lord. Paul says, put to death whatever bring belongs to the earthly nature, okay? So he's saying, you need to put to death certain things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all these things, such as anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly, uh, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay. So as Paul is talking about this, I'm, I'm going I'm to jump down a little bit. We're going to come back to this. But you understand what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, as you obey the Lord, as you do this, there are certain things that you're going to have to put down. Right? You, you've got to stop doing these things. That is, that is the old person. That is not the new creation of Christ. You've got to put these things down. But as you put those things down, there are some other things you've got to pick up and put on. Right? So you've got to put off unforgiveness but you've gotta pick up forgiveness just as the Lord Jesus forgave you, right? You, you've gotta put down hatred and smite. You've gotta pick up love and compassion. It's, it's this, I'm dropping this and I'm scooping up this. This is the language that Paul is using, okay? So the question is, well, how do we know our part? What do we do in this role of sanctification? And I'm so glad you asked because I want to hit this with you really, really quickly and then we'll, we'll be done. In your notes, um, there is an underlined section there that says Christians are to obey the Holy Scripture. Yeah. Okay, this is perhaps the most important thing that we can do in our in our role of sanctification. As we read the Scripture, and the Spirit of God empowers us, we obey the Scripture. Okay. Um, now, I need to, to bring a little bit of definition here, and i don't want to I don't want to confuse. I want to I want to be as clear as I possibly can, but we have to be careful as we as we are reading and applying the Old Testament scriptures. okay We believe emphatically that the Old Testament is is just as equally as inspired by the Spirit of God as the New Testament. We believe that we believe every word is correct and inerrant and the mouth of God, okay we believe that. Um, but we also understand that that we're under a new covenant than the people in the Old Testament. They were under the law, the Mosaic law. We are under a covenant of grace. And so as you read the Old Testament, what you're gonna find is you're gonna find um, the, the law of Moses. There are like over 600 different laws that are recorded. And basically, uh, these laws can be broken down into three different parts, okay? There was a civil law, which was basically for like the community of Israel. During that time in ancient Israel, um, you know, they would, you know, God goes into all these laws about if your ox gorges, you know, another ox, this is how you need to deal with it. That is part of the civil law. We don't deal with that today because we're under a new covenant and that's not our culture. We don't, we don't obey those civil laws, Um, There are also the ceremonial laws, right? And this is where the Lord says, you know, if you commit this type of sin, this is, you know, you need to bring one of your animals and slice its throat, you know, kind of thing. We don't abide by those laws anymore. But then the third component of the law is what we call the moral law, the 10 commandments, the things that have to do with morality. Um, these things that are um, referred to and affirmed by Jesus or the New Testament writers those are things that we we still adhere to so everything that Paul's saying listen don't lie to each other okay what Paul's doing is he's affirming like that's a moral thing you can't do that right and so there as we read the Old Testament um, I just, I just think it's super important that we understand because it can be really confusing because you can read some things and you're just like, absolutely, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that, da 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 But then the very next thing, it's you know, five different things that I do every day in my life, right? Well, it's because this may be moral and this may be you know, civic or, or whatever the case is. And so we just got to understand that there are differentiations, right? So for instance, in the Old Testament, in the civil law, um, or, or I guess it was ceremonial, um, you couldn't eat pork, okay? You couldn't eat bacon or barbecue or ribs, and we all love that, okay? And thank God that we're not living under that covenant anymore, right? Um, this is why in uh, Scripture, you know, it's very specific about not marking your body with tattoos of the dead. Um, you know, this is, this is why you'll, you'll see uh, uh, people that that was not a moral thing, and this is why a person who has a tattoo can still go to heaven. Okay, um, this is why. Ooh, that didn't go well. No, I'm kidding. Um, so this is why. This is why. Um, in the mosaic law, the Bible speaks specifically about the types of clothing that you wear, and and basically, uh, um, the law says that you can't blend materials together. Everything that you wear has to be perfectly 100 percent this one thing right? Well, that was a ceremonial law, and, and we don't, I mean, look at your clothing. You, you know, chances are, unless it's 100% cotton, you know, you got some spandex in there or something, okay, or linen. But, but my point is, is that there are certain things that we don't adhere to in the Old Testament anymore, but if they are moral, we do. If they're carried over in the New Testament, we do, okay? So, as we obey the scriptures, we just have to kind of keep those things in mind, but again, there, there, the, you know, anything that's affirmed in the New Testament, that everything written in the New Testament, that's the new covenant that we're living under, and we need to obey, okay, um, without question, uh, and the moral laws, okay, um, again. So, so this often means picking up some things, laying down other things, and you may say, well, you know, when it comes to like, you know. I, I, you know, I'm not a very compassionate person, but the Bible says I need to put on compassion. You know, I, I'm not sure about that. Well, well, that's why it's called the work of sanctification, right, it's because it's something that we don't want to do. Um, and so it's, it's a work, it's a process, and you know, I'll never forget one time, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, um, God rest his soul, but uh, one time he said this, he said, sometimes you can't fully understand the Bible until you obey it. Okay. Sometimes you can't understand what, you can't really grasp what God's asking you to do until you obey. And then it begins to make sense. Okay. And so we as Christians, as we go through the work of sanctification, we are to obey the Holy scriptures. And then the second thing we're to do is to obey the Holy spirit. Okay. The Spirit of God will never lead us to contradict. He will never lead us to do something that the Scripture speaks against. Okay? He will never lead us in that way. But there are times with the Spirit of God, as a Christian believer, you have the Spirit of God in you. And there are certain things I call uh, nudges, where he nudges you along, where, you know, he may, you know, prod you to, to pray for your waitress or to witness to somebody or to give in an offering towards something or make a funk Man, a few weeks ago, uh, man, I hate it when this happens, but... There are times where like, you know, there were a few weeks ago and like three or four different times in a single week, I felt like the Lord was nudging me to make a phone call to somebody. And like on a Thursday morning, I decided, I was like, okay, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to make the phone call and I'm just going to make sure I just want to check it out. I just felt like the Lord was, was leading me to do that. And do you know, before that meeting was over and I could make the phone call, guess who reached out to me? They did, and and I was so frustrated because they needed me, and I was just like, man, I should, I wish I just would have listened to the nudging of the spirit. You know what I mean? And so as we um, as we go through sanctification, oftentimes it's the spirit of God that kind of will prod us in different ways. But also sometimes what God does is He uses the spirit to prick our conscience. Yeah. Okay, and so this is why. You're scrolling on your phone and you see something and you're just like, oh, nope, nope. And you keep going. You turn your phone off, throw it out the window, whatever the case is. That's because the spirit of God has pricked your conscience, right? And uh, there, there are just a host of other things that God will use our consciences. This is why it's very important to keep what Paul says a clear conscience. Make sure we're not ignoring those nudges. And um, we'll be all the better for it. So as Christians, you know, <laughs> two of the most important things that we can do in this work is to obey the Holy Scriptures and to obey the Holy Spirit as best as possible, okay? Now, let me clear something up really quickly as we wrap this up. As Paul relates to the, the phrase he uses here is, is fear and trembling. And what Paul is really getting at is what we call a reverential fear of God. It's a reverential awe of who he is. Um, a few years ago, I, I heard somebody say this, and it just made so much sense to me. Um, they were talking about the awesomeness of God, and and it was back in, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and they were saying how, you know, in, in modern culture, man, just everybody uses the word awesome. Like, every, even, you know, especially in Christian, man, that's awesome, this is awesome, that was awesome, you know, whatever the case is. And the guy said this, he said, I never use the word awesome unless I'm speaking of who God is. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that if, if you choose to do that. He said, but, but in, in my vocabulary, there are certain things that I am only going to reserve for the Lord God himself. And the awesomeness of who God is, is, is not the same as when we say, Pastor Justin, your shirt's awesome tonight. Okay, it's it's just not the same thing, but we kind of put those two things on the same level and and it's just not the same. Paul is talking about the awesomeness of God and what he's really getting at is this. He's trying to help us understand. He's saying, listen, if you understood the depth of depravity, the pit that God took you out of as a gift, without any effort of your own, if you really understood that, you would live so passionately for God that you would do so with fear and trembling because you wanted to please the Lord so much, knowing that one day you will stand before this awesome and mighty God. You know, um, I think that uh, Stephen Lawson, he made this quote, I I think he has it right. He says, God is not a kindly spiritual grandfather sitting in the sky. He's not a teddy bear. He is not a kitten. God is a lion who loves us, but his love does not mean we are free to domesticate him. So what Lawson is saying is this, is that we can't lose the awe, we can't lose the awesomeness of the God who breathed cosmos, the God who spoke all things into existence, the God who uh, Colossians says he sustains all things with his very presence in his being. We can't lose the awesomeness of who he is or try to reduce or to domesticate that into something that'll fit into our net narrative, okay? And so as we learn the awesomeness of God, we will respond by living for God in such a way where we understand what Paul's talking about when he says in fear and trembling. It's not a physical like, oh, you, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna freak out, but you guys, we, we don't live in fear. You're a son of God, you're a daughter of God if you, have, if you have received the forgiveness of Christ. This is not about salvation, it's about the process of sanctification. If you're a Christian, you don't have to fear hell, okay? You are saved. The fear and trembling is a reminder from Paul to remember who our great God is. Don't reduce him to something he's not. Don't try to put him in a box where he does not belong. And the fear and trembling is a natural response to the realization of our sin, the greatness of our sin, and the greatness of God's grace, right? So it's like, very poor, poor example here, but it's but it's kind of like in, in my house where I have 17 children running around, um, When when they are maybe doing something wrong, or I think that they're thinking about doing something wrong, um, something like that, Uh, I can just simply look at them and and snap. Man, that sounds so horrible. It sounds like I'm a domineering. I am not. If you know me, you know I'm the least from domineering. But if my child is leaning a certain way, they don't need to be leaning. If I just simply snap, it's like, it's almost like it snaps them into awareness, not only of about what they're to engage in, but when they look to me, they look at the potential consequences that they're gonna face, right? That's what Paul is trying to help us understand. He's saying, listen, look at all that stuff that you just used to be a part of, and then turn from that because you are, if you embrace that, you're going to find yourself you know, in a place of judgment one day um, where we will all give an account for how we live. And so Paul is just trying to snap us back into reality. Remember the depth from which God has brought you. Remember the depth of your sin. But man, remember how awesome our God is and how powerful and good and loving that he is to us. And as we do that, God will bring us through that process of sanctification and we praise him for it. Amen? Amen.